NotFest.com presents Talk To Me. With over 300 interviews under his belt and six years running, your host Joshua Toomey interviews metal and rock's heaviest hitters. Follow the show at Talk To Me Talk. Here's your host, Joshua Toomey. What is up, everybody? Welcome into Talk To Me here on NotFest.com. The guest this week is the great Matt Hafey of Trivium. In the Court of the Dragon is out now through Roadrunner Records. Make sure you are checking it out. This interview was also on Matt's Twitch account. So if you guys checked it out over there, that was a lot of fun. I did not know we were going live on his Twitch, which was in front of tens of hundreds of thousands of people. However many people follow him on Twitch. He is one of the biggest metal musicians on Twitch. And it was very crazy to have some of the guests pop in uh, in his chat room. Like Dead Mouse, like <laughs> Dead Mouse is watching an interview with me and uh, Matt Hafey. How crazy is that? So that was a lot of fun. Speaking of Twitch, make sure you are checking me out on the NotFest official Twitch. That is twitch.tv slash official. If you are listening on post day, we have Sky and Matt of Sumo Psycho and then John from Anthrax, Jonathan from Anthrax guitarist extraordinaire talking uh shadows fall anthrax so much more so check it out tonight 5 p.m eastern that is 2 p.m pacific over there not fest official twitch.tv slash not fest official always free come hang out in the chat ask questions be a part of the conversation so much fun also i do have the talk to me t-shirts in in 2x and 3x so reach out to me on social media and we will get one of those to you And without any more of my ramblings, let's check out some new Trivium. Talk to Matt. Check out some classic Trivium. You guys have a great Thursday. Have a great week. Talk to you soon.
Matthew Hafey. How are you doing? Great. Thank you for nailing the last name. No one ever nails the last name first time. So. Well, we, we, I think you told me a few years ago how to say it properly. Yep. So now every time I hear it wrong, I'm like, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's like people when they, they people that are best friends with Randy from Lamb of God still call him Randy Blythe when it's just Randy Bly. I didn't realize so, it was Bly either. I had no he, idea. I heard him one time correct somebody too. Wow. Like you, the, I've been, calling, him, I, I've been calling him Randall and David lately though. That's good. <laughs> David Randall. <laughs> There we go, man. In the Court of the Dragon, by the time this will be out, will already be out, man. Fantastic new album. Thank you so much. Like always. Thank you. You guys, you guys should just change the name to like consistency. You guys are always just so consistent. Man. <laughs> Thank you very much, man. I was trying to think of a, a, a material that has a good consistency that would make sense for that that remark. Uh, Gee. <laughs> I was going like corduroy. <laughs> I, I was thinking of like butter. <laughs> There you go. But, <laughs> a yeah, viscous because, liquid that's good for heating things up and although the consistency i guess for geese changes a lot so it would be like olive oil it's always so always go. consistent <laughs> uh yeah we're, we're very excited uh, we made the last three records uh there's the same ethos behind the three we said let's go back to the place in our heads when we were a local band when we said hey we want to start up a band let's get into a hot warehouse or garage together and make the kind of music that we want to hear let's not think are people going to like this are people going to dislike this none of that matters the only thing that matters is do we like this now i know that sounds very selfish but i feel like when a band puts themselves in that headspace that's when they make the music that's most identifiably them these days you know these these days where you can file share and all that stuff i mean just getting a band in a room just sounds so foreign to most people now yeah, it really does and that's that's like i know for us we will not do a record like that that's not the way we should do a record i, I feel like heavy bands if you're a band you should be in the room together like whether it's, yeah. you got one songwriter or four songwriters in our case I, I know the way it works for us, and it, I can't speak to other bands, but we need to be in the room together. Just our band, no one else. Flesh the song out where it's 99 to 100% there before we ever allow like an outside hand or outside ear to take place in it, and that's the way we like to do it. And I feel like that's that's when you take it back to the feeling of a true band. Um, I know the situations are different for every band, so for us, that's the way we need to do it. No, no ghost writers, no extra producers. It's just us. And when we bring Josh in, it's when the music is fleshed out and he acts as a fifth member, essentially not as a leader of the ship. He is someone that's come into the ship and we're all running the thing together. So would you ever do a ghost writer? Would have you done ghost writing in the past? Had anybody in there to kind of, kind of give their two cents? Um, for us, we've experimented with, with it for like a second. We knew it wasn't the right idea. It wasn't the right move. And we stopped. I have ghost written for another band. I remember I wrote the wretchedness inside for a different band that will remain nameless. I wrote it for them because they said they wanted me to write them a song. Then they never hit me back when I sent them the song. So I was like, okay, <laughs> sick. So we used the song for our record, the sin in the sentence and people loved it. So that's that's what we did there. <laughs> but I do love writing for other things. Oddly, when it comes down to writing for Trivium and Ibaraki, my black metal record, if I ever try to sit during writing time and say I'm going to write a song, it doesn't work. I ha right. It has to be capturing lightning in a bottle, like fall into your hands. That main riff was written on stream. I was testing out a piece of gear. I came up with a thing. I told a moderator, can you clip this for me? I'm going to send this to my bandmates and we're going to make something out of it. It's capturing lightning in a sporadic, sporadic bottle. However, when it comes down to writing for other things like scoring, I've been scoring for a long time. I did a lot of like local businesses, tiny things. I did a freaking, uh, I think it was a nationwide commercial with my good friend, John Paul Douglas with the Peyton's Parms food truck. I did like an acoustic version of that <laughs> whole bunch of okay. other stuff like that. A couple video game things here and there. Um, but it's been since my childhood dream, since my childhood, I've had the dream of scoring a video game from start to finish like the whole thing. Like my goal in life right now is I want the next doom. I want the next doom soundtrack. I'm, I'm being very vocal about it. I want Put the next game. I want to do the whole damn thing. Um, so hopefully, hopefully someday I'll be able to get to do an entire game. So I've done songs for games, collabs with games, but uh, that's that's the next thing that I want to do. So with Trivium and Ibaraki, I cannot write during writing time. But if it's for someone else, something else, for some reason, you can show me a picture, show me a video. Same thing like uh, I've been doing a lot of work as a brand ambassador for Cyrus Watches, the luxury brand of Geneva. I saw a picture of this new watch, wrote a song, made it. Took me, It took me no time at all to know how this should sound. So when I'm composing for something else that isn't directly mine, it's easy. But if it's mine, it has to be lightning in a bottle. How many hours of music do you have to write for a video game? <laughs> That's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I imagine it's a lot. Uh, when I looked at the original soundtrack length of The Last Doom, I think it was like two and a half hours, which 
I mean, if they gave me like video, like, hey, here's the scene for this song, or scene for this song, I could, I could make that stuff right away because I've, I've wanted to make music for Doom since the first Doom came out. Um, in Tread the Floods, I reference Doom. I'm knee deep in the dead, referencing the difficulty level of Doom. That's in Tread the Floods, and you see a lot of Final Fantasy VII references with the calamity. The word calamity's been used on a couple tracks actually, so it's. It's all geek love here. Video games, lore, <laughs> mythology, things like that. When you're when you're 10 albums deep into a band, I mean, how difficult is it to write new trivia music because you know, you don't want to repeat yourself. You you try to like, have I wrote this lyric before? Have I wrote this riff before? Is and 10 albums worth of riffs too is just like, is this is this a Slayer riff or <laughs> you know, you got to you got to think that too. I don't want to take away from the album or sound cocky with this statement but this one was effortless this one was there was no plan to make a new record we just all started coming with great riffs and a couple started piecing them together we'd send them around said i think we have something going here let's back to the phrase of my uh, back to the, the paraphrase of myself capture this lightning in a bottle it was the same thing with what the dead men say and the same thing with sin and sentence the reason is is the preparation that goes into it as, as people see that you know i have a very regimented schedule i stream a lot my streaming it's not me playing fortnite to a bunch of fortnite fans it's it's 75 to 90 percent of the time it's me playing trivium songs for trivium fans working at my craft yeah and that's a compulsion that I have. I know that I need to work one to three hours a day, five to seven days a week on Trivium. So that way I'm 365 days a year ready to either go on tour or to make a record. If I had to make a record tomorrow, if I had to go on tour tomorrow, I am conditioned. There's no off time anymore. I treat it like like an athlete, not, not like a musician. Um, so with four guys with that mentality and with that over preparation, uh, which makes us feel good when it comes time to do something. It's easy and it's efficient. The last two records, I think it only took us two weeks to track. It took us two weeks to track Dead Men, two weeks to track in the Court of the Dragon. Two weeks essentially to track the sin in the sentence, but it's because the f- it took a little bit longer because with Josh, we're figuring out what our work ethic was. And what our work ethic was, he's like, all right, guys, I booked two weeks of pre-production. We show up super prepared like we normally do. He's like, all right, after day one, he's like, I guess you guys are ready to record. So two weeks turned <laughs> right. out of one day. Then we got into the recording. Um, I remember Alex's first take of the first song was Sin of the Sentence. He's like, all right, warm-up take. Here we go. Finish the warm-up take. He's like, well, I guess that was the final take because that was perfect. <laughs> so that's like that's the way. Oh, yeah. speak of the devil. Alex just showed up. So yeah, his very first take of Sin of the Sentence was the first song he tracked, and Josh was like, that's it. So the record took two weeks. Um, we finished the vocals at the end. And when we finished the vocals at the end, Josh Wilbur said, we've got a problem, Matt. Your voice kept getting better with every song we went. So let's take another pass through. So we took a whole other pass through the entire album's lyrics again. Excuse me, vocals. They got better again. He's like, one more time. Did the entire record a third time of all the vocals, all the singing, all the screaming and everything. And it was the best at that point. So once we figured out that process with with that workflow, we were able to apply that to Dead Men and in the Court of the Dragon much easier. Um, the other day I was recording guest vocals to a really amazing band called Malevolence. They're one of my favorite metal bands out there right now. And I showed the way I like to do vocal recordings on a record. And the way that I do that, so let's say the song is 100% done. We have the song fully laid down. What I do is I've got two different vocal approaches for everything I do. There's the Ibaraki technique and the Trivium technique. Trivium technique is what people hear on the records. Um, the very... I push everything out for the screaming, push everything out for the singing. It's not sustainable. It's something that's meant to record. But then the Ibaraki technique, that's my black metal band. That's the technique and the physiological tools that I use of my voice for my black metal record, for streaming, for live shows. It sounds like the record live. Maybe on stream it sounds, it's a little bit more decipherable because it's so naked. But live, it sounds like the Trivium style. Um, so I do everything Ibaraki style. I do this, this, the technolo- technologically or technically safe vocals first on top, lay all the harmonies, all the high stuff, all the range is still there. Then I lay all the, the, the Ibaraki slash safe, easy screams. Then I paint over that again with the Trivium technique. So it's like multiple foundations we like to keep building upon and doing the same thing over and over again, but better and better and better. It seems inefficient, but it naturally gets better every single time. You know, I, I do want to say something about Paolo's bass lines too. Like I love, 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 love that he continues to shine on Trivium records because bass in a lot of metal have, has just kind of gone to the background. Mm-hmm. But with him, still got that kind of Cliff Burton 
coming through, you know, like in Call of Cthulhu, you know, where, yeah. where Cliff's kind of growling in the background. Every once in a while, Apollo will, will just come through. And, you know, as a bass player, you just get a huge uh, grin on your face. Hell yeah. And as he's a massive songwriter of the band, too, like we generally start with one of the three of us comes up with a piece first. And then it's when the four of us, we walk in. And then that's when Alex is able to put his whole thing on top as well. Uh, we just had an awesome guest in here as well that uh, I'd love to say hey to. Dead Mouse, good to see you, my friend. Welcome, Dead Mouse. We're talking about the new record. Good to see you, man. Um, nice. Anywho, so all three of us are key songwriters of the stuff. And I think people are going to freak out over the middle section of Crisis Revelation, that tapping part. And that like mm-hmm. tapping part's yeah, on that's, bass. That's what I've written yeah, down, yeah. It's super sick. So he came up with that thing and... Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's awesome that it's it's very fun as well when I get to like quiz my chat. I'm like, hey, who wrote this riff? And there are little subtleties of which guy has a style like um no way back just through da 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 that kind of bendy, groovy thing. That's Paulo writing it on a guitar. And he's a fantastic guitar writer, but he has such a different approach because he's a bass player as well. At Corey, it's always the very busy, intricate stuff on the left hand, very strenuous down picking. And me, it's either galloppy, that kind of down, 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 up, down, thrashy stuff, or something like very Swedish melodic death metal sounding. So it's it's always fun to see who did what. But with this record, there there are parts that we've all quizzed ourselves be like which one of us did this and we can't even remember anymore because it's been <laughs> such like the the phrase i've been using is organic improvisation we come in with that over prep and we just allow the music to to essentially be created on its own you know i do have to thank you for for getting into twitch and you know because a lot of bands now are obviously doing twitch lots of bands doing twitch not fest which i'm a part of now when they started the Twitch channel, they needed content. They reached out to me and said, "Hey, let's do some do some stuff on on their Twitch channel." And then with that, you know, I got to go to Notfest Iowa. Saw you Notfest. Oh Iowa. hell yes, great, that great, was the best show. U.S. show of our career. That was so amazing. It was funny listening to it because I mean, we streamed live on Twitch from Notfest, you know, and it was funny while we were streaming, we were hearing that you were streaming, and it was like this big. Uh, you know, uh, smorgasbord of streaming going on. But, uh, you know, as I was watching you guys, you could tell you guys were having fun. You could tell it was a huge crowd. It's fun seeing the crowds, uh, the uh, the photos that Sarah, right? Sarah that does yep, your photos? Yep, Sarah Dope, yep, from Astro. Sarah Dope. Um, she did all the all the behind, because from where I was, it didn't seem like there were that many people but once you like saw it from the stage, you're like, oh my God, there's 30, so many 000, people here. man. 30,000 yeah, in freaking Iowa. That's so <laughs> awesome, man. And I love Slipknot so much. I mean, look look what they're essentially doing for you as well. You're on their, you know, you're on their NotFest podcast. For me, yeah. they brought us out on their All Hope Is Gone tour. They put us on multiple NotFests. Slipknot has always been a champion of underground bands and helping make them above ground bands, which is so right. awesome. Bands like us uh, having Knocked Loose and Turnstile and Fever 333 and Gate Creeper. I mean, Gate Creeper is one of the yeah. sickest bands on the planet, and they had them on the festival. It was their first festival they ever played. I love that so much that Slipknot does that. And, and the more bands that are able to bring out bands that they love, they're able to secure that secure the futures of the generations of music that we back and love. That's why when we go on tour, we try to only bring out bands that we truly love, that we know our fans love, bands that we feel like. The last uh, UK-European run we did, it was Venom Prison, Power Trip, Code Orange, and Trivium. I mean, that's an insane lineup. The last US two runs we did was Fit for an Autopsy, While She Sleeps, Arch Enemy, and Trivium. Then it was Light the Torch, Avatar, Trivium. Just really, really cool runs. And I feel like that's what what keeps it going. That's, That's what keeps the future looking good for all of us. Talk a little bit about the metal tour of the year because obviously it was the metal tour of the year. It was an insane package. It was amazing. It what was so great about it as well in a time that we see bands like we can't make this show or we're losing a week of shows or we're losing two weeks of shows. What's so amazing is that for us, we didn't miss one show of the entire run. It was five to 10,000 people a night. For metal, that's amazing. That's, that's tough, uh, especially for four bands, none of which are like, radio rock superstar bands like those are the ones that we always see that can draw the places but when it comes down to four heavy bands who all came from the underground to be able to do five to ten thousand people a night for 26 shows that's insane yes we missed canada because different country borderline restrictions right. but we're able to move that and hopefully secure metal tour of the year part two tour was amazing took every single freaking precaution in the world though like um I got the vaccine. I got COVID afterwards. I had breakthrough infection. It wasn't horrible. It was like five to seven days of feeling meh. But even though I was immune, I could not get it or transmit it or get it again. I still 
abided by the, the, the policy of the tour, masked everywhere, stayed away from everyone other than our own bus to keep the shows going. Like, sure, that doesn't sound like the most fun one to tour. However, we still had a blast. Like, I mean, we played Call of Duty in the dressing room all day and watched the yeah. bands we wanted to see and drank beers on day, days off. So it was a really fantastic tour. It was a blast. We kept every precaution just to make sure we didn't miss one single dang show. And it was, it was just awesome. I know you grew up a huge Metallica guy. Talk about growing up a huge Megadeth dude and being able to actually see them nightly if you wanted to. It's amazing. Um, there's, I wonder if I've, I have it on here, and I, I've been wanting to show Dave Mustaine it. I wonder if I could play it on here. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't, so we, it doesn't get muted. But there's a cover of me at 13 slash 14 years old playing Tornado of Souls by Megadeth in oh, Trivium. Wow. I joined Trivium when I was 13, and... Um, yeah, I covered it way back then. So Megadeth is, is a huge inspiration for us. It's a band that without whom we wouldn't exist. Uh, Marty Friedman was one of my favorite guitar players in the world. But now they've got Kiko, Kiko, who was one of my favorite guitar players in the world from his band. Angra, Temple of Shadows, massive influence on me. Um, Corey, Megadeth is his favorite band in the world. That's the first metal band he got into. For me, Metallica was the first metal band I got into. Megadeth was the first one Corey got into. And he saw them at the, uh, the arena in Maine. And he, we all mentioned that to Dave. And we're like, hey, man, let's, let's, play, let's play that same arena on leg two and kind of bring it back, have Corey's family come on out. I think that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. Huge, huge uh, metal fans in Maine, big, big metal community up there. Are you, are you from Maine? No, I just, oh, okay. Just okay. Being... Yeah. Maine, Maine's pretty awesome. The accent's really funny. When Corey and all his relatives get around his, his accent really starts to pop out. I just started picking up a Pittsburgh accent because we had so many days in Pittsburgh on this tour for some reason. Uh, but I digress. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I think I've actually developed a Pittsburgh accent. Like we, when we're around the house where everything's the house. Yeah. And, you know, house, <laughs> so home, water. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny, man. Um, I, I did want to bring up one more thing that you, got, you that you recently did was the Supple Quadra thing. And you played my absolute all-time favorite Sepultura song, uh, Slave New World. So, I mean, t- talk to me about that a little bit. Run through that for me. Uh, yeah, we covered Slave New World on the In Waves, on the In Waves record as a B-side because we've always loved Sepultura. I feel like Sepultura is a band that doesn't get enough credit. Uh, thanks to a band like Sepultura, so many bands exist. I feel like they're one of the people that helped thrash get put on the map, but they also helped create new metal, but also kept modern metal alive. I mean, you can see their influence in bands like Gojira, Machine Head, Korn, everybody, all the early Roadrunner stuff, our stuff. So we decided to cover Slave New World on that record and... We haven't toured with Sepultura before. We played played shows with them. Have a ton of respect for them. They're one of our favorite bands in the world. And they just asked me one day, "Hey Matt, do you wanna do you wanna do Slave New World with Sepultura with all of us?" I was like, "Of course I do." No brainer. <laughs> Did it with them. Then they put it on a record. They put it on a vinyl. They put it out. I was able to interview interview Andreas on my on my podcast as well, and I got to really get an insight on the creative process and how they got to where they got with Sepultura, which was amazing. So it's it's awesome. The last. Last two years, I've just been making sure I I take advantage of trying everything and anything, and it's been a blast to be able to do a collab song with Richard Marks, to be able to do a song with Mike Shinoda, uh, to be able to do a K-pop song in metal and metal style, all in Korean, like doing a little bit of everything, and I think that's pretty awesome, and it like makes me think, and it all comes from just like casual things, like like I said. I saw Dead Mouse in the chat, so like Dead Mouse, let's let's do a thing. Let's let's make a song. Like that that's like it's usually I feel like that sporadic. Just come up with the idea, and if it's, it sounds fun, test it out. So hopefully he'll do that. I think that'd be pretty rad. Yeah, the day it popped up that you were doing something with Richard Marks, I was just like, that is so awesome because because <laughs> I, I I I was very little in the eighties, but I remember like his heyday. My dad had the records around the house, the cassettes around the house, and uh, you know, kind of grew up on on that a little bit too. So hearing that that collaboration come together was awesome. Oh, it was so fun, and it was so it was as simple as I remember the whole story came about that I was sent a picture, and someone said, "Hey, Matt, in this Richard Marks documentary, there's this younger kid wearing a Trivium shirt. They're like, we think it's his kid." I reached out, found out it is. I'm like, "Hey, if your son or you ever want to come out to a show, tickets on me, passes on me." His son came out to our LA show. It was amazing. Got to meet him. He's got a super great musician as well. One day, I just commented on Richard's Instagram. I was like, hey, man, when are we doing a collab together? He texts me back. He's like, you got my number. Let's do this. And so then I made a metal version of Right Here Waiting. I was like, how about this? And he tracked insanely amazing vocals on it. I mean, the grit and the rasp that he has for metal voice is so sick. Um, it was It was awesome. You know, I was looking back to some of the earlier interviews we did probably five or six years ago, and it was funny because you were even talking back then about how 
much streaming was kind of the future. And I was like, God, he was already talking about streaming back then, but it was, <laughs> it was obviously Spotify and, and iTunes and things like that. Um, you know, you, you kind of seem like a person that's on the pulse of what's going on and, and kind of straight trying to stay current rather than trying to fight to just, you know, like, let's only put this out on CD. Like we need to sell CDs and like, you know, like, no, we really need to focus on everything else and changing with the times. Am I right there? Um, for us, it's, I don't know what it is. We've always looked at either what we have done or we look at what everyone else is doing and we say, let's do the opposite or do something different. Same thing with, we had a record ascendancy that blew the hell up in the UK. It was the only time in our career that we were a press band. We're on every single magazine, every single award, every show sold out. And I was like, hey, let's do the exact opposite record. Every single thing we did on Ascendancy, let's not do it on the next record. So it was like just this weird natural rebellion thing. On In Waves, we said, let's make a live DVD, but let's make it the opposite of everyone else. What's that? No crowd. Let's make a documentary with no color. Uh, let's make a metal band. Let's make a metal band's videos have no performance. So it's like always, tr- it's not that we're the first band to ever do those things, but we kind of look around what the landscape is and say, hey, let's do the opposite. Um, Twitch thing. Let's see. How did that start? Well, if we go back a little bit further, when we were local, I remember my dad, he was like really looking at the climate of everything. He's like, you guys should get a MySpace. I'm like, what the hell's MySpace? So it was my dad telling me, hey, you guys should right. start a MySpace. Um, when it came down to streaming and stuff, we would look at, hey, this is so much more convenient than traveling with a binder full of CDs trying to travel to the airport. This sucks. Um, so it's it's not a matter of looking at what seems like it's going to be popular and trying to capitalize on it. Instead, is it's seeing how things evolve and how we can evolve alongside that. Um, with Twitch, we did a show in Barcelona about four and a half years ago. And the promoter was like, hey, some YouTubers want to meet you. And we're like, eh, everyone's on YouTube. Who are these guys? We looked them up. We're like, oh, this guy's got 7 million subs. This guy's got 2 million subs. These guys are all together. Okay, sure. We'll say, hey. So we said, hey, they're still very good friends of ours to this day. When they left the room, I said out loud of the dressing room, I was like, I should start making videos on YouTube. And Paulo goes to me. He's like, I think you should look up Twitch instead. I was like, oh, I've heard of that, the video game thing, right? He's like, yeah, check it out. So I got home. I started streaming to like two to three people a day, playing Overwatch on a PS4, talking off my iPad, not really knowing what the hell I'm doing, but I loved it. Progressed a little bit further, got to leave for tour, can't stream anymore. I was invited by a guy named Brandon from Twitch HQ. Hey, you should come down to Twitch. So I went there. I got to meet a guy named John and Brandon, Meme Dude and Volition. And actually, Meme Dude is the godfather to my twins now to show how the relationship eventually <laughs> wow. progressed. So I was talking to them and be- be- became good friends with them. They lent me the Gun Run IRL backpack. That's what we stream all the shows from. I ended up building one of them, buying another. So I've got two of these streaming backpacks. Um, we would visit them on trips to San Francisco. My wife and I would go to San Francisco before we had kids to get tattooed. That kind of speaks to the tattoo scene of Florida that we would fly to the opposite side of the country to go get tattooed. So we'd go to the opposite side of the country and we'd get meals with these guys, with John and Brandon. And I remember telling how much I was like, I love Twitch so much, but I can't stream as much because I need to practice one to three hours a day, five to seven days a week for my vocals to stay in shape all the time. Just like we talked earlier, John and Brandon go, why don't you stream that? I was like, guys, no one wants to watch me do vocal exercises and play trivium songs every day. They're like, I bet you they do and i started doing that and that's when the channel really started turning around the next big turning point was when everyone was shut down the world started closing up and finally everyone was at home and they were able to go i'm gonna finally look up this thing matt's been telling you about for the last two years and then people started jumping in the channel so my channel it's, it's the same thing as trivium we're not the biggest band in the world my channel's not the bi- biggest channel in the world but we do have the most devoted fans of the subsect of this smaller world which we love and Every single thing that I do has always been to give back to them. I started the Twitch channel because I was like, hey, people like to see the food I eat and I get to talk to them by comments, but what's the next step? What's the next layer? And that's being live with them in the moment as I practice, as I do all the things that it takes to stay in shape to be the best Matt Hafey for all the Matt Hafey things in the world. And that's been like the new life goal that's shifted for me since since streaming on Twitch, since Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, since having kids. It's I used to always beat myself up with, hey, we should be much bigger than A, B, or C bands because we've been around longer. Or, you know, I haven't hit my goals from childhood of becoming an arena band. However, it's shifted to the, I want to be the best Matt Hafey for all the Matt Hafey things in the world. And that takes all the pressure off of everything. I think one thing with with the Twitch and and just kind of diversifying yourself into into many things. I mean, when you see like Jay Z is the first rap billionaire, but then you see the breakdown of his billion dollars, 
and and music diversification. And the, the music <laughs> side of it is like less than one tenth of a billion dollars. It's like it's not even. It's like one of the smallest parts of his billion dollars. So you gotta you gotta you know keep yourself in, in many different pots to uh, to to make it in music. Yeah, I remember when we did the record with David Draymond and we stayed at his house, we were talking to him about how he approaches business in the music world. And he is one of the most diversified people I've ever seen when it comes down to how he invests his money and what he does in addition to the music. I mean, he was an early investor in Spotify. So like there are guys out there that have got this really like keen eye into something. So it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, right now I'm working on a kid's book. I'm working on a kid's book that's based off all ancient Japanese stories. Incredible illustrators named Half Sumo. They're, they're doing all the illustrations. My idea behind that was to expose, you know, you, you think of people that have never met people from another country. Um, I'm half Japanese. I was born in Japan. I have always been really into knowing what other people's cultures are because everyone comes from something rich yeah. and interesting. And I just love the idea of someone who'd never been to Asia sitting there with their, their newborn, reading them these ancient Japanese stories. And that causes both the parent and the kid to want to learn about everyone else's stories and every other culture from around the world. And yeah, it's, it's fun. It's trying to, it's trying to see different things to do. Um, I've really been enjoying conversations like we're having, like you and I are having, and I've been able to talk to some really cool people from my, it's a podcast, but it, the, the videos just kind of live on Twitch. So I'm, I want to put them on a proper podcast format or proper podcast label. I don't know what the heck they're called. But network. I've been able to talk, yeah, network. We're going to be able to talk to people like I've had Baron Corbin on the show. I've had Dakotas. I've had Jared Dines. I've had Andreas Kisser. So going further, like talking to my buddy Temper from FaZe Clan and like just trying to show the stories of other people and their their perspectives of how they do what they do. But we usually talk about food a lot as well. <laughs> well I think a lot of people will get into just their own environment, their own house, their, you know, their, their drive to work and back. And like, this is life. This is all there is to it. And then you stray from that just a little bit and you just like realize you're like, oh, there's an entirely different world going on out there that, uh, that, that's not in your bubble. Absolutely. I remember when we first, before we ever toured Europe, um, and we're supporting a lot of our, you know, a lot of our first favorite bands and stuff, we'd ask them about Europe. They're like, oh man, Europe is really scary. Like the food's terrible. Like you're going to hate it there. Like everything's awful there. I remember one guy of one band told me he would like take sleeping pills all day just to be asleep and wake up for the show and then go back to sleep on sleeping pills. And I was like, holy crap, this must be the worst, scariest place in the world. We get over there like, this is incredible. Like England is amazing. Europe is amazing. Everywhere is amazing. You can find fantastic things everywhere. If you go into it with an open mind and, and a willingness to see what there is, you can find amazing stuff. And for the people that said, like, Britain has bad food, for example, everywhere has bad food if you don't do a little bit of research. America has some terrible crap that you could eat absolutely everywhere if you don't do just a little bit of research. So we've had some of our greatest meals of our life in every single country, every single place, everywhere from South Africa to Turkey to Japan to like, I mean, you just have to do a little bit of digging, a little bit of research beforehand. And I have found that an open-mindedness to food leads to an open-mindedness to everything in life and to really be able to branch out and try everything and see where everyone comes from and see what else the rest of the world has to offer can inspire you in everything you do. And it leads to the way we like to create. Like The way we like to create is when we're in a good mood and when things are going well and just allowing that lightning in a bottle to present itself. Now, switch gears just a little bit. I know like we've been talking a ton on, on the NotFest channel on my NotFest Twitch show about the Black Album turning 30. And I, I broke down and I actually bought something physical. I actually bought the Black Album box set um, <laughs> just to like sit there and swim through all of these old memories. Um, what are your memories of the Black Album? I think you might have been a little bit young for the Black Album when it first came out. But, but what does that album mean to you? I didn't get into it until like 1998, 1999, which is what? eight, nine years after it came out, but it was the first metal record I ever heard. So the first style of music I loved, if you're from central Florida, uh, it's usually pop punk and ska. Like that, that was my first love, pop punk and ska. I loved Real Big Fish, Less Than Jake, Blink-182. And I remember trying to for my first first pop punk band in seventh grade. Try song was Damn It by Blink-182. It didn't make it in the band. I was like, all right, I give up on guitar. This sucks. <laughs> A kid then lends me the Black Album. I check it out. I'd never heard metal before. And I heard the sounds come out of there. I was like, this is the kind of music I'm meant to play. This is the kind of music that I want to make. And I locked myself in my room and would just play to like and emulate the sounds that I would hear. Uh, unaware of the fact that that was getting 
that was practicing. That was woodshedding. That was getting good at something. Played my eighth grade talent show, was asked to try out for this high school band called Trivium, and I've been in ever since. So it's all thanks to the Black Album. If I wasn't lent the Black Album, I wouldn't have picked guitar back up. I wouldn't have gotten back into music. And by going to Knotfest, Iowa, I actually missed Louder Than Life, and they played the Black Album in its entirety, and I'm still like, oh. <laughs> I've seen them do that. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. What a, what a, what a, I would love to see it. Um, you, you know, you, you love social media. You, you play on it a lot. You know, obviously you're throwing some jabs at, you know, Machine Gun Kelly out there and things like that. I mean, obviously you're, 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 hey, this is not fest. You're more than welcome to, uh, to bring any of that here. But I mean, you, you seem to have fun with it every day. And if you find a funny picture of yourself, you don't want to hide it. You post it and you're like, let's, 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 you know, uh, roast this picture, you know? So I, I feel like you're doing it right there too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't take yourself too seriously. You have to take your craft seriously, but you can't take yourself too seriously. I feel like streaming on Twitch, I've learned about so many memes and things. I, I wouldn't have ever known what Ligma is, Fugma, Sugma, any of that <laughs> stuff. I wouldn't have known what any of that stuff is. But I learned it all from this or learning like, I was like, what the hell is a Zoomer versus a Boomer? What are all these things? So I'm always learning all these new things and to see how memes evolve is pretty interesting. Uh, the thing with The thing with that guy, for me... Like I mentioned before, Slipknot is a band that has given so many bands great opportunities. They've given us great opportunities. They help further our career through the All Hope Is Gone tour. Every Knot Fest they've ever put us on. The fact that they support all these amazing bands and and give people careers and give people jobs. I mean, they they gave us a job to go play their festival and help it help us create new fans. And they we were able to sell merch there. We were fed and taken care of and had an amazing dressing room with internet. We were able to play Call of Duty after the show and drink beers and eat eat good food all day. That's why. You know, if someone takes a jab at someone from our world, I feel like people need to step up and stand up for people from our world. Like, I, I would hope that someone would for us. Um, actually, I know, I know people have. Like, I know, you know, before we've had bands in our corner for things like that. Not as public, but um, it's if someone takes a jab at someone from our world that does good things, then I feel like our world needs to defend them. And that's, I, Corey's a man that doesn't need defending, but it's just, it was like a gut reaction. I was like, this is, this is crap. I need, I need to say something here. I normally don't insert myself into other things like that, but I felt like inserting myself. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You talk about that with, with, especially older metal heads, you know, where they get very, there's no good music and there's no good this and, and music hasn't been good since 87 or what, you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah. I'm like, have you guys li- actually listened to Trivium? Like, you know, you might, yep. they, they'll, they'll dog Trivium, but I'm like, have you actually listened to Trivium? Because it's yep. like all the ingredients are there. I don't understand what the disconnect is. Yeah. I mean, we're still, we're, we are the, the kings of that where people from either press or from not, not other bands so much anymore. It was other bands when we first came out, when Ascendancy first came out, I was bullied by a lot of my favorite bands talked badly to directly to my face from some of my favorite bands that we'd be on tour supporting, um, which was very hard. Or I would see some of my favorite bands talking badly about us in their show reviews from another magazine, which sucked. Um, so that was kind of like an old, the old thing because, because we were 18, 19. So we're so much younger on our first kind of buzzy record. Uh, nowadays, we still do see kind of like press people trying to jump in and get in the cool kid club, like, all right, dogging on Trivium. But they're late. They're late to the game. And for us, we're not alive from those people. Those are not the people who buy tickets to our shows, buy our merch, keep us alive, keep our families fed, keep our lights and water on. The people that do that are our fans. And that's why we do everything for them. It's all for them. It's not for the others. And uh, it's it is funny how unaccepting the world can be of a world that's meant for the underdog who wasn't accepted for other things in the first place. So it's, it's that sort of cyclical, uh, cyclical bad behavior that we see, you know, animals can be raised in humans can be raised in, but that's a, that's a whole nother topic. So I kind of digress a little bit, but my whole goal with the band has always been to be accepting of everyone. Cause I felt like I was an underdog. I was into things that, that I felt like was kind of like the, the underground world gaming and metal. And I always want to give a place where people can come and feel welcome and feel like they can meet other like-minded individuals and find community and friendship and family through that. I feel like that should be the goal of music and metal. And when people take shots at that, they either don't belong or they need to be put in their place. Like I did with that one guy, (laughs) you know, there's, there's definitely a, 
you know, the mainstream doesn't like us, so we hate the mainstream. But then if a if a metal band breaks through and gets on, then they hate and them then they, too. They, yep. If they start, you know, going on the Grammys or you know whatever big show, big stage, like oh well, those guys are sellouts. You know, like there's no, yeah. there's no middle. It's ground. cannibalism of of its own thing. That's why whenever we see something new, it's just like welcome to the club, man. You're late. You're late. Just jump on, jump on. We're, we've been dealing with I, we've been dealing with this since I was 13. I remember when I decided to join a metal band. We had that was we were a band with all long hair playing thrash music. It wasn't what everyone else was doing. I remember we played Lake Brantley High School Battle of the Bands was the first show, but the second time we played it, I remember after our set, people were staying standing in the auditorium. I remember the announcer kid. They were in a different style of music. They thought metal was stupid. He comes out. He's like, oh, "Can all the metal kids sit down?" <laughs> and I remember coming out from behind the curtain, telling him to stand back up and not sitting back down. So it, this is the same that that thing has been going on since then. But it's such a small, small vocal minority that doesn't have much of a following. That is typically the ones that are trying to drag it down. I don't know why they do it, but. It's it's ironic in the fact that a lot of these platforms were started because of the love of music, a love the love of metal, the love of a specific genre, and then they sort of start eating it from the from the inside. Um, that's why it's so great that bands have the power to control their own message, to give their own message to their own following directly, versus having an intermediary where the message can be altered and misconstrued. And talk a little bit about the hangar that you bought, because obviously that's an, that's an amazing feat for anybody. But, uh, you know, getting in there, <laughs> you know, making it however you want, being able to do videos there, record there and just have Trivium just kind of all, you know, in one little spot. It's amazing. We there was a point where I started saying, man, I really hate paying rent for a place that I hate to be a place that doesn't feel inspiring. This this music store we're recording at or rehearsing at for years. And before that, it was uh a hot storage container before that I was another storage container before that I was a parent's garage and thanks to doing I'll backtrack so the world looked like it's about to shut down we had what the dead men say finished we were approached with hey we should you guys should delay this because you're not going to sell any CDs you're not going to sell any vinyl you're not going to make money off this record we said we don't care we want to get this out we have no idea how long this world the world's going to be in a question mark let's just get this out so people have something they can enjoy let's give them the music they can enjoy put the record out Stuff was still looking a little bit weird, but we kept rehearsing, kept staying together. We decided to put on a pay-per-view show, A Light or Distant Mirror. We put that on, invested heavily into it, took everything that we had in savings, basically put in the production and the hard costs of making this happen. If that would have failed and no one would have bought tickets, we would have been severely in, in, in the hole. But thankfully, our, our supporters know what it is to watch music live, thanks to the channel. So that was, at the time, the most successful paid streamed metal show had that happen is 100 live did that it was successful so we were able to take the cash from that put a down payment on an airplane hangar I remember i was looking at industrial places i was looking at homes and i mentioned seeing this really cool transformed airplane hangar i mentioned to my mother-in-law she's like you know who's selling that ashley's cousin so ashley's cousin was selling a hangar his construction business is right next door to it so we bought it from him he's the one that did the renovations uh, it's a 4500 square foot i believe 4500 or 5000 square foot hangar you walk into it it's a giant open air area at first where we've done the feast of fire video uh, we did the the three live videos that are coming out for octane pretty soon uh, so that it could be done for photos, music videos, rehearsal, full band crew stuff. Walk into the downstairs where it's closed off. There's all storage, bedroom, bathroom, shower, kitchen, washer, dryer, everything you never need for tour. Or like if a bus pulls up, you got stage clothes, whatever it is. You want, uh, it goes upstairs, jam room slash streaming area where we can stream and play. That's where we're going to be having our, our live Twitch show October 17th. Through that is a studio and another bathroom. So we can make records there. We can do streams there. We could do music videos, photos, absolutely everything. It's basically the idea of like a, like a creator house that we see nowadays that either orgs own or YouTubers or Twitch streamers have, but it's for a band. And it's amazing that we're able to have all of that happen for ourselves and it's a place that we love to be feel inspired being in and it's nice to to own something versus rent something yeah it's gonna be nice and as we kind of wrap up man what's the the you know you're talking about a doing a live show from there and things like that but what's the on the horizon for trivium as we wrap up so the record comes out tomorrow record 10 which is amazing and i know we're, I know we're listening to this in the future so future people <laughs> Uh, it's already out. So the record comes out tomorrow, the day after we have an amazing local beer launch. So it's a Trivium collab with Red Light Red Light, who is one of our favorite 
breweries that's in Orlando. It's a brewery slash local 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 brewery slash beer pub. Um, we're having a beer party there. We're gonna have the painting there, the record playing. People are free to come out and hang out. We've got an Orlando show October fourteenth at the Beecham. We decided to book a small hometown show. We haven't done one of those in a long time. We want to do a smaller show. Have it be nuts. That's gonna be incredible. Then the seventeenth, we have a Twitch stream show. That's big show for twitch which is gonna be awesome and then we've got europe coming up at the end of the year so it's it's all busyness all good things how have you enjoyed the uh the shaved head i love it so much <laughs> it's so funny like my hair is talked about just as much as like our our sound or our songs um throughout my life i had long hair all of middle school and high school when it was time for Ember and Ascendancy, I cut it. I did the the, the, the oh, swoopy yeah. fringe on Ascendancy that was the target of so many gatekeeping metal kids. <laughs> that I, The same kind of person that I was when I was 15, oh, yeah. 16. When I was 15, was 16, I listened to Dark Funeral and Crisian and anyone listening to anything with clean singing, their music sucked. But I was also conversely in Trivium at the same time. But we were like a thrash band at the time. So did that and then grew it long again and then cut it again and made it like pretty and clean cut for in waves. And then just back and forth and back and forth. And I got tired of it and I got tired of thinking about it. And I kept thinking, man, I'm going bald. I'm going bald. My hairline looks worse, but it turns out my hairline's the same as it's ever been. But this has been the greatest. I saw a picture of Ken Watanabe from The Last Samurai. I was like, man, that guy looks pretty awesome like that. I want to do that. So I did that. I haven't looked back since. And I wish I did this like 15 years ago. It feels so much better. <laughs> it's much better for jujitsu as well, like grappling. And I think having like interesting or cool or silly hair as a grappler doesn't it kind of makes sense but you can't do as much as you should do so this this is good so if i have to use my head against someone's face or i'm trying to get out of a choke there's less friction to get out i think the fear is just you know you're gonna have a big lumpy head or something you know and i, I think you but you pull it off. oh my head is lumpy <laughs> it is very lumpy like it's like squished right here i don't know what the hell happened when i was born but it's it's definitely squished yeah, you definitely need to call your mom and dad and be like what'd you guys do well, I figured it out. Yes. Well, yes. Matt Hafey, man, thanks for taking some time with me today. Thanks for coming on NotFest. Thanks for coming on Talk To Me once again. And uh, have a great rest of your day, man. Thank you very much. Take care.
Talk To Me podcast presented by NotFest.com. Follow the show at Talk To Me Talk. Be sure to subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app to get the latest from the Talk To Me podcast. Thank you.